Hello, everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Annie. And this is Gail. And this is Heroes. And Zeros. A true crime podcast. Yeah. You know it. In case you're wondering why we're so weird, it's because Gail brought over a bottle of champagne. That's right. That's and right. I finished it. If you listened to our last episode, which those of you love our banter, you did. Those of you that don't, don't. You skipped it, I'm sure. <laughs> but if you loved our last episode, you know that we were celebrating our first for piece the of hate mail. Mm-hmm. Hate email, I guess, but at the end of the day, first piece of hate mail. And so we were celebrating because before the love comes the hate. So hey. if you're wondering, we might sound a, a little fan. drunk. Drunk. Um... <laughs> Or, or Annie belches again. <laughs> I apologize in advance. We're apologizing in advance. So. Hey, did you all like our tales of terror? It's a little, yeah. it's a little different from our normal Ooh. thing. But I was so excited to hear back from the author H. J. Tidy. Oh, did you? Well, I have to tag him on Facebook and stuff. Yes. Did you let him know we did it? Oh no, no, I we wouldn't do it unless we got permission. Oh right, no, but I because legally. Did you so yeah, yeah, send it out that we did. I it? sent him the, the link. link? Yep, sure did. Oh, wow. I know it. Did we need to record the beginning of that? I already did. Oh, well, look at you. <laughs> and you all are listening to our, what do you want to call it? Our normal, Heroes it, and Zero. Well, it is our normal, but it's our, it's our. Um, see, I've had champagne. I, I know, think. right? But it is like what would go on behind the scenes that's not behind the scenes. It's right in your face right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to look at it. Yes. Okay, yeah. Remember, we don't have editors. Yeah, just me. Hey, if you want to become a Patreon or donate, we would love it. Even five bucks a month would be a di- big difference for us. Holy cow. someday we could hire an editor. <laughs> if you want this podcast to get better. <laughs> and a writer. Please pay us. <laughs> or if you just like us a little, send us 99 cents know, a month. Right. Hey, or and a- you can always send us 100 too. So don't feel like you got to go with a certain amount. <laughs> All right, guys. All on right. that note, we are excited because we've got another story. We have a new case. All right. What's is in our case? Is is it a closed case or is it ongoing? It's a closed, case? No, it's a closed case. Okay, so we got a closed case, and we've do we have some heroes and zeros? Yeah, we sure do. Okay, I can't wait. All right. All right. Take it away, Annie. All righty. Well, I titled this Jerry Underwood, his last victim. Jerry. Jerry. J e r a l e e. Jerry yeah. Underwood. Um, and my resource for... And what would you, would you say the last what? His last victim. All right, take it away. My resource on this case came from the book Eye of the Beast, the true story of serial killer James Edward Wood. The authors were Terry Adams, Mary Brooks Mueller, and Scott Shaw. And we will include the link to the Amazon book Eye of the Beast. There once was a serial killer named James Edward Wood, a.k.a. James Godwin, and he was active for 18 years between 1976 and 1993, the year my youngest son was born. And it was a year after your son was born, right, Gail? Was he born in 92? Oh, (laughs) 91. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're like, he wasn't born in the 70s, lady. (laughs) Nope, I knew that. Did we both snort? I'm sorry. Apologize in advance again. (laughs) Or actually behind <laughs> okay <laughs> oh editing my gosh okay go ahead so jim wood was born on december 9th in 1947 in louisiana usa he was raised by both parents until age two 
his mother and stepfather until he was eight years old, and then his uncle Gene and his maternal aunt Mildred Wood until he was age 14. He was a ward of the state until he was age 17, and then his biological father until adulthood. He was raised as an only child and had no siblings, and I ad-lib, thank God. His father was an unnamed man who was incarcerated. He had him until he was two. I think he was incarcerated when James was two. Okay. Yep. After his father's release, he worked selling and installing chain link fences. His father did. His mother's name was Hazel Godwin, and she died in a potato processing plant fire when he was eight. And the reason we even bring that up is because in order to get sympathy, Jim James would claim to have been in school looking out his window and saw the factory on fire. So he says he runs out of the building and he runs over to the potato factory and to see if his mother was okay. And then some woman, he like grabs a hold of her and he's crying and he's upset and she pushes him away. And apparently that was all a freaking lie. He was nowhere even near the potato factory plant. So you have to be wondering, so we already what know is he's wrong a liar. with this child? Okay. He is a liar. During his education, he had academic, social, or discipline problems. Wood was sexually, physically, and psychologically abused, allegedly, at some point in his life. On October 25th in 1992, near Alton, Illinois, Wood, James Wood, is on the run again. This time, it's his 14-year-old stepdaughter. She was to blame, according to him in his mind. He says that the story he told himself in his own mind was that she got what she was what was coming to her because she wore those skimpy clothes. What did she expect? She should have known what would happen. I told her to change her clothes, but she wouldn't mind. So Wood, thinking he was being the good father that he was, his stepdaughter wasn't listening, he takes her to her room and rapes her. The young girl Obviously, thank heaven, she has a pair of balls on her, runs to her mother, Yvonne. She tells Yvonne what happened, so Yvonne reports him to the police. So now, he's left the town, he's on the run, and he's in a bad mood. In his truck on the night of October 25th, 1992, Wood has a very drunk passenger, and her head is like kind of bobbing and swaying with the movement of the truck. The window was rolled down, and the air was blowing her disheveled hair all around her face. Wood is thinking about the night before. He started out pretty early in the morning, drinking fairly heavily, and he spent the night with some old boy, quote-unquote, at the Holiday Inn in St. Louis. The next afternoon, after he passed out, he got on the road and drove over to the river to Illinois. He met this gal at a biker bar in Alton. They had a few beers, they went bar hopping, and at the last bar, in usual Jim Wood fashion, he bought rounds for the patrons there. But when it came time to pay, he had $80 in his pocket. It was no longer there. It was gone. So Wood was pissed. He just knew that this stupid, and he cusses a lot. I cuss a lot, but I don't think it's necessarily relevant that you have to cuss all the time in the podcast. So he just knew that this stupid B-I-T-C-H took it. She wanted to travel out west with him, and she also had a court appearance the following week. Damn her. She effing took it i just know it is what he's saying in his head so he presumes she had to be the one that took the money and he is so mad and so he likes to take his anger out he's angry a lot and it's always towards women and he always has a justified excuse as to why this bitch needs to pay for what she's done he would never take responsibility for anything 
nothing was his fault. And you know, they say never to say anything, everything, nothing, always. That pretty much applies to him, though. He always had an excuse. Her damn thievery almost called caused serious trouble because when him when her and Wood walked out of the bar because he couldn't pay, a few large bikers followed him out of the bar but backed off when he stopped, turned around, and said to the men, if you ever want to see the inside of that bar again, just turn around and go right back in. And they must have noticed the look on his face, the black eyes that he had. They were scared. Big biker guys afraid of this 5'9 guy turned around and went right back into the bar. He then drove into some farm field with this young lady who was drunk because he confronted her. She denied it, but he's going to make her pay one way or another. He rapes her, jumps back on the highway, but Wood just couldn't let it go. He grabbed her arm and yelled, I want my effing money, bitch. The woman jerked her arm away, yelling back at him that she didn't take his effing money. They argued back and forth. Wood was yelling her that she was the only one with the opportunity. Finally, when the truck approached the stoplight, the woman said, fine, if you don't believe me, you know what, buddy, just drive me down to the police station. We're going to go inside and just let him shake me down. Wood yelled back at her as he threw open the door that he wasn't about to do that. He wasn't going to take her anywhere. He was cutting her loose, and he wanted her to get the F out of his car. Out of his truck, actually. It wasn't a car. The woman got out of the truck, slammed the door, and she was screaming at him through the open window, You're crazy, man. I'm going to get your license number, and I'm going to turn your ass in for rape. At that note, Wood was furious. He gets out of the car, and he scrambles to the back of the truck. Sorry, people. He scrambles to the back of the truck, and he blocks his license plate from view. So they're in the middle of the street at a stoplight. There are other people at the stoplight watching this. With stunned onlookers, Wood shoved the woman backwards as they were yelling at each other. They stood there yelling obscenities back and forth at one another. Wood's temper, apparently, was revealed. It shot through his eyes as he stepped towards her. And she actually, at this moment, looked frightened. More frightened than when she was raped by this man. She backs up. Wood glares at her one one more time before he turns around and gets back in his truck and he drives off. This is the first victim we get to hear about. Okay. It's actually many victims later, but you will find that out later. Again, in usual poor pitiful me fashion, Wood thought to himself that bitches like that, this is quote, bitches like that are always causing me trouble. I had it made for the first time in my life. I was teaching art classes. I was painting. I had a future with Yvonne. I had a new life. I was the man of the house. That little bitch just wouldn't mind me. She should have changed out of those clothes like I told her. She got what was coming to her. She ruined everything with Yvonne and me. Yvonne should just have forgiven me and forgotten about it. But no, she has to run off and call the law on me. And then this this bitch has the gall to roll me for the last bit of money that I have. And now I've lost everything. So once again, he rapes these women because they deserved it. Okay, thanks, guys. You're an idiot. As the truck rolls onto the interstate, Wood heads back towards Missouri, and he finds the money in his shirt pocket. She didn't steal it after all. But you know what? A normal-thinking person would feel regret, relief, remorse, so on. But we're not talking about a normal person here, are we? He was seething with anger as he had been for most of his life, and it was always directed towards women. The last five years of his life, they had been pretty good. 
he met and married Yvonne not long after his release from Louisiana's infamous prison called Angola State Penitentiary. It was his second stay at Angola, which he served six years of a 10-year sentence for robbery and, you guessed it, rape. Ironically, he was released early for good behavior. You know, that always, that always just kills me. You have good behavior because you're in prison. What? Oh, what, what was your crime? Raping women or children. Oh, you didn't rape women and children while you're in prison? Well, good job, though, buddy. <laughs> well, you know what? There's no women and children in prison, so okay, whatever. doesn't take a rocket scientist to be able to right. figure out how to not do that. Yvonne would soon become his third wife. They had a son together, his third child from his three marriages. Wood and Yvonne had a modest little house on several acres of the lush countryside of Shreveport, Louisiana. Yvonne had a daughter. When she didn't change out of her normal clothes, Wood thought they were too skimpy. Like every other woman who crossed him, he made her pay by raping her. He honestly couldn't understand why she would tell her mother, according to his own thinking and rambling in his brain. He was just doing what every good father would do. Here's a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Wood couldn't afford another rape charge in the state of Louisiana because it would have been his third one. So he had to get out of Dodge. He grabbed some of his heart supplies, his tattoo needles that he made at Angola. He actually made these tattoo needles while he was in prison because he's a little bit of an artist. He took his wife's Montgomery Ward credit card and her little Jennings 22 semi-automatic gun that she kept in the car's glove box. And he didn't even pack any clothes. He just took the needles, the gun, and the card, left the house, left his son, left all of his belongings, and basically his life, and he headed back towards Idaho. But on the way out of town, he stopped at Montgomery Wards and bought socks, underwear, several changes of clothes, and a blue nylon duffel bag to carry it all in. For our young folks, Montgomery Wards was a store. It was. Kind of like a, I don't know if you've ever heard of Sears and Robux, people, but yeah, it was like that. He had the auto center change his oil, give his truck a tune-up, and put new tires on it to prepare it for the long drive to Idaho. Instead of heading towards Idaho, (laughs) duh, as was his plan, he for some reason changes course and turns north towards St. Louis. Wood still doesn't know why, since it was several hundred miles out of his way, though he did have an ex-wife and a daughter and a granddaughter in suburban St. Louis, but apparently they were of no value to him. Because he didn't care about anyone but himself. He could only mimic that he cared if he could take advantage of them and get something from them. So it's still Sunday, October 25th, 1992. Wood's at a gas station in Hazelwood, Missouri. He eyes a young lady at the pumps. She makes eye contact and she smiles slightly at him. Actually, the gal is Jeannie Fraser. And she's a little nervous because she thinks he looks like a creep. But he's thinking, oh, look at, she looked at me, she smiled. So she goes in to pay for her gas and after a few minutes comes back out the door and walks across the concrete apron at the station, opens a car door and starts to get in when she sees movement out of the corner of her eye. It's that strange man with a dark baseball cap that she saw eyeing her earlier. He was hiding behind the gas pumps. He jumps out and instantly presses his body against hers to the open car door and says, get in the car. He says it very calmly, but... He pulls back his shirt to reveal the butt of his gun. Jeannie realized what was happening and screams. But before she could scream again, he grabs her by the arms, pulls them tightly behind her back, and says, shut up or I'll kill you. And his tone 
apparently stunned the young teenager into silence, and so she obeyed. This is where I say, listeners, what have we learned from listening to podcasts, ours and other people's, when someone grabs you, fucking scream. Right. Scream your ass off. Yeah. They tell you not to scream. You know what? Scream, scream anyway. anyway. Because what you're, what's going to happen when you get on the road and you get into a vehicle and you go someplace all by your little self with this man, this sicko, psycho monster, it's not going to be good. Statistics say um, you have scream. a... Scream. Well, and they not only say scream, but that oh. once you get into a car... You You're have done a much, for. Yeah, you have a much less likelihood mm-hmm. to survive. Yeah, that's where I thought, man, honey, you should have screamed. The people that make it out are the ones that kick and scream, punch, and make a huge scene because what do they? What does the perpetrator want? They want nobody to see them. Right. Compliance and quiet. Yep. So Wood pulls the gun from his jeans waistband, jabs the barrel into the young girl Jeannie's ribs, and demands that she gets in the car and move over to the passenger seat. She's terrified. She slumps in the seat of her own car, shocked in disbelief that this is even happening to her. Wood pulls the Camaro onto a four-lane highway, and they speed off. It's just the two of them, alone. The clerk at the gas station had his back to her. So when she looked back out the back window, she could see that he wasn't even looking her direction. He forced her to lock the door. Wood paced the speed so that they hit every green light and never had to stop. He learned that once from the last girl. He looked over at the frightened blue-eyed girl. Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. I just need to borrow your car for a while, he says. I just shot someone at the jewelry store over in the shopping center, and I'm having mechanical problems with my truck. So Wood let the words... I just shot someone sink in for a bit. He could practically see the will to resist fade from her eyes. He apologized for taking her and her car, then promised that nothing was going to happen. All she needed to do was everything, he asked, and she would be fine. He just needed to get far away from there, and she would get her car back. Jeannie could smell the odor of stale beer on him. She begged him to let her go and just take the car. God, Why is this happening to me, she was thinking. At this, Wood pulls the Camaro into the parking lot of a car wash. A glimmer of hope washes over her. A family friend owns this car wash. Oh, good. Yeah, so she's all hopeful. Wood pulls into the drive, then immediately turns the car around and pulls back out onto the highway, going back in the same direction that they came from, towards the food mart. Wood looks over her. At the young girl, who's still terrified, even more terrified now, because her chance of maybe getting out at some place where she knew the people is gone. He notices that she has beautiful, thick, dark hair. Her neck is so slender, with the beautiful, soft skin of a teenager. Look at her, he thinks. She's got class, not some trashy bitch. I bet she's got nice things under those clothes, things I like. I'm going to have her? She's got all the stuff I like. Unfreaking quote. You're really pretty, you know that? Sure you know that. Sure you do. Jeannie stayed silent. She looked at the man's face, hoping and praying that she would see some sign of hope that he would take pity on her. She tells him, I've got to hurry home. My parents were expecting me just to go get gas and come right home. They're going to be worried. She looks at his face and there's no sign of pity. Just a stern look and a pat of his gun. He brought out a small wad of cash, what was left of it, of what was stolen, he says. You want some of this money? Go ahead, take it. I got some. Take some. I got it from the jewelry store. 
Jeannie says, I don't take stolen money. Suit yourself, he says. Put the money back in his shirt pocket. The gas station came back into view, and for an instant, Jeannie thought he was going to take her back. But the Camaro sped right past the station, and it fades from view. This is a bad dream, she's thinking. This cannot be happening to me. She closes her eyes tight, opens them. Damn it, her abductor was still there. Can I ask you something? Jeannie says to Wood. Why'd you pick me? Why are you doing this to me? He responds, I don't know. I guess you was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Nice crammer, dude. He drove on and on what seemed to be an aimless route before turning onto a busy divided highway leading to a nearby township of Florissant. Sounds so French, doesn't it? Jeannie tried to make mental notes of the streets and landmarks as they passed. First, they went north onto Interstate 170, then west onto a two-lane asphalt road that took them deeper into the dismal gray countryside. She dreaded what was to come. She knew her parents had to be worried. God, how she wished she was home with them. Jeannie was playing the what-if game in her mind. What if she hadn't taken the Camaro? What if she hadn't gone to get gas? What if she hadn't gone to her boyfriend's apartment? None of this would be happening. But it was happening, and she knew the worst was yet to come. Tears started streaming and flowing down her cheeks. She decided she was going to pray. She's going to pray for herself, her parents, and maybe if he knew she was praying, maybe he'd feel bad and let her go. So she asks him, do you mind if I pray? Wood looks at her. Why? You religious? <laughs> yes, she answered weakly. I'm sorry, I started to chuckle because I was using like a... A, a wood I know, voice. I know, I was noticing that. <laughs> I know. It's a little bit of champagne. I'm like, I'm getting into my part. She tells Wood, yeah. She caressed the small cross of the chain that hangled from her, from her necklace around her neck. What church do you belong to, he says. I'm Catholic, she says. Catholic? Personally, I don't believe in God, Wood said as he glanced at the young girl. A small gravel road came into view as they neared a bridge that led over the rain-swollen Missouri River. Wood turned sharply. The gravel crunched under his tires of the Camaro. He drove slowly, and it looks like he's going deeper and deeper into an open field of broom sedge. At the edge of the field, a road trestle panned the muddy river. Wood pulled the Camaro into a small clearing and turned off the ignition. Can you imagine? You're sitting there in total silence with this person. Who has a gun. In the distance, Jeannie could see the glow of lights against the evening sky. As she sat in terrified silence with her abductor, not more than a mile away, people were laughing and playing at a softball game that was held under those halo of bright lights. With a wild look in his eyes, he looked at the girl hungrily. Get in the back, he ordered. Jeannie started to cry, but she didn't move. And he's thinking to himself, you know what? This bitch doesn't want anything to do with me. She thinks she's too damn good for me. Well, you know what? I'm going to show her. Now he's angry because he likes to be angry. He likes to be justified. Wood yells at her, get in the back. Jeannie scrambles to the back seat, begging him not to hurt her. He can do what he wants. Just please don't hurt me. With rage in his voice, he said, do what I say or I'm going to kill you right now. Jeannie became nauseous at the stench of his unwashed body. She turned her face away as, she, as he tried to kiss her. He got angry. Kiss me, damn it. Jeannie sensed that compliance might just save her life. The smell of stale beer and cigarettes was nauseating. But finally, 
It was over. I did it by God, he says. He's thinking in his, thinking to himself. I did it by God. I took it. She thinks she's too good for me, but by God, I showed her. Wood picked up the pistol that he had laid on the floorboard. Jeannie was sobbing in fetal position in the back seat. Get up and get your clothes on, he says. She brushed away her tears, and she did as she was told. Come up here. I'm going to let you go now. Then I'm going to park your car where the cops or somebody will find it, and then I'll get it back to you. But first, I need to get you far enough away from the car so that I have time to go, okay? You got it? Please just let me go, she says. Please take the car. Take my money. Take whatever. As they got out of the car, Wood firmly but somehow gently takes a hold of her arm and guides her out. Come on, honey. Let's go this way, he says calmly in a very soothing voice. But in his mind, come on with me, you fucking bitch. I'm going to show you. So what he's thinking and what he's saying, two completely different things. With his hand on her arm, Wood led her through, led her through the field in silence. As they neared a stand of trees, he let her go. She kept walking, but then she heard him stop. Okay, he said, as he raised the silver pistol up to eye level. Jeannie turned to face his voice. It's time to say goodnight, her rapist says sadistically. Jeannie screams, oh my God. She turns away from the brilliant orange flash. Her legs buckle from underneath her, and she falls into the tall grass. Blood trickled from a small hole that was left behind her left ear into the soft, moist earth. After shooting the young 17-year-old girl, Wood took her Camaro back to the station. He made off with $300 after robbing the poor young terrified cashier, which would have lasted him for about three or four more days. Because that's how he makes his money, the big piece of shit. Before going to bed at the Ramada Inn where he registered for a room, he called his ex-wife, Angie Bell. How this man ever had a frickin' wife. And he well, had three. He had three. Well, you know what? The fact that he was able to, according to her, feel like he was being gentle with her. He was smooth in some ways. Manipulative. Very manipulative. The two of them, Angie and Jim Wood, met 25 years earlier. They became pregnant almost immediately. Two months later, they were married. Six months later, Angie learns that her new husband had been arrested in Louisiana and charged with slitting the throats of two women, raping one of them. The charges were later reduced, though, to assault and battery. Nice, because you didn't die. If you don't die, then it's not murder. It's not even attempted murder. Apparently, it's just battery. Good job, prosecutors. He would spend the next four and a half years in Louisiana's Angola State Pen. Angie filed for divorce while Jim was in prison, but then they were remarried shortly after his release. Within months, though, she filed again for a second and a final divorce. They had two children together, a boy and a girl. Wood told his ex-wife on the phone that he was in St. Charles, heading towards Idaho for work, because Louisiana's market wasn't good. As long as Angie had known him, though, Jim Wood had never been able to hold down a job or stay in one place for any length of time. When they were there together, he worked as a truck driver most of the time. Remember what we used to talk about do, truck do, drivers? Do. Sorry, truck drivers, if you're a really good one and you're an honest guy, this isn't about you. According to Jim, Idaho held nothing but bad memories. Why would he go back? Supposedly, his stepfather, while living in Pocatello, had abused him. Jim said that he would like to have a short visit with his four-year-old granddaughter, though, Julie, while he was there. Jim and Angie agreed to meet the following day, and Carolyn was the name of their daughter, and Julie, the little granddaughter, they were going to meet at 4 o'clock the following afternoon at the craft fair. 
Carolyn, though, knew her father had spent time in prison, but she never knew why. He had always kept in touch, though, throughout all those years. Four o'clock the next day rolls around. What's Wood doing? Is he going to the craft fair? Nope. He's headed towards Kansas City, and he told Angie that he was having mechanical issues with his truck and that he had to cancel their get-together. He promised to keep in touch. Life was coming full circle to Jim Wood. Growing up in rural southeastern Idaho, next time we're going to find out who his next victim is. All right. I do not like this gentleman. He's not a gentleman. I do not like this guy. Yeah. He has a lot of adjectives, a lot of names I could call A lot of anger. You know what I thought the whole time is, is, you know, he was a ward of the state up until two, which is pretty formative years, zero to Mm -hmm. two. Yeah. So what happened to him with this father then? It was a stepfather. Stepfather. So what happened, right? Mm -hmm. But then from two on, he was a ward of the state. What really makes me sad is what happened there? that he was so angry with women. Mm-hmm. There was something that had to happen in his formative childhood years I would that made so. it this angry. But you know what? It's really hard to believe anything that comes out of this man's mouth. I know. And here's the deal. Many people had shitty childhoods. Many uh-huh. people were abused and had horrible growing up conditions, and they don't turn to this. what he's done. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, well, Annie, I look forward to hearing... Part two. I'm looking forward to it. I can't All wait. Right. And to our listeners... Looking forward, not forward to it. Yeah. Well, I hope they're looking forward to it. Well, yeah. It's a bad thing, but you know what? Justice happens. Good. We've FYI. got some heroes. Yep. We got heroes, and we got... Well, we, <laughs> we know got a this huge, guy's big, zero. fat zero. Exactly. But to our audience, thanks for listening. As always, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again so much for joining us, everyone. Be sure to stay connected with us on social media at both Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram is Heroes Zeros Podcast and Facebook Heroes and Zeros, a true crime podcast. And you can listen to our podcast episodes or support or donate money to us. And you can send us your stories and just a lot more at our website, which is Heroes and Zeros TrueCrime.com. Again, that's Heroes and Zeros TrueCrime.com. And you can email us also at Heroes to Zeros and More. That's the number two, Heroes to Zeros and More at Gmail.com. Exactly. And you can also support us at our Patreon site now, which is Patreon.com slash heroes zeros thank you everyone bye